did Pharaoh tell the midwives to do? Two, what brave thing did they do instead? Three, what is something in your life that you know from the Bible is right, but that your friends make it hard to do? Four, will you pray this week for God to help you obey, even if people tempt you to disobey, to disobey him, to disobey God? Exodus chapter 1, beginning in verse 8, we'll begin in verse 8. This is the word of God. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph, and he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply, and if war breaks out, they join our armies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities, Python and Ramses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shifra and the other Pua. When you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it's a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this and let the male children live? The midwives said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, Every son that is born to the Hebrews you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. There ends a reading of God's word. Let us pray together. Almighty God, we do thank you for your word. We know that your word is always relevant. Lord, we thank you that you have given us these scriptures to teach us. Lord, to instruct us. We thank you that in this you reveal the way that you work and the way that your people respond to you. Lord, we pray that you would help us to know more of that tonight through the preaching of your word, to know you better, and to respond to you appropriately. And so please bless the preaching of your word, and please bless all of us who will hear. Please send your Holy Spirit in a special way. In Jesus' name, amen. The last time we learned that Pharaoh could be a very cruel individual to quench the population of Israel, he forced them into slave labor. The repetitive word there that he ruthlessly, ruthlessly made them work as slaves gives an indication that it was brutal slavery that included beatings and all kinds of brutal things. He was a cruel tyrant. His first solution was to oppress the people. 
with extreme labor, beatings, and abuse. Tonight we'll see further just how cruel he could be tonight in a heinous way. I think it's always helpful for us when we read scripture, especially when it's hard in reading Old Testament scripture, since it's so far removed in, in time and in location, that we remember that the Hebrew people are our people. That the nation of Israel is the church. And that they are our spiritual brothers and sisters in the Lord, those who are faithful. And so, so we enter into the drama and the trauma that the people of Israel are dealing with, that the Hebrew people are dealing with. Well, Pharaoh's not satisfied with his efforts in oppressing the people, so he comes up with solution number two. Solution number one being oppression. Solution number two, murder. Murder. He takes a desperate measure to kill all the newborn Hebrew babies. It's in a particularly horrific form. It is an afterbirth abortion, better termed infanticide. These babies are being born, and then he wants them to execute them. It's a demonic method. The tactic alone is horrific enough, unimaginable. The way that they would have put these babies to death had it happened would make us shudder, I'm confident. There's more evidence that Pharaoh here is a tool of Satan, simply by his approach. I've mentioned before that he stands as an earthly representative of the kingdom of darkness. And here, here as a tool of Satan, he's a fair representation of the characteristic that Jesus points out that Satan was a murderer from the beginning. And here, very literally, very literally, that's the place that Pharaoh is in. And yet, and yet he's shrewd. He wants to shift the blame. As the case usually is, the devil has dupes to do his dirty work. And he gives a vile assignment to, of all people, to, of all people, the midwives, those who work in birth and labor for the Hebrews, those responsible to deliver new babies to the Hebrews. And he is pressing them to betray their confidence at the most vulnerable point that you can imagine. That moment of childbirth that is a challenge for sure, but also that moment of joy when they're just about to experience the birth of a newborn baby where Pharaoh is expecting these women to execute these babies. He's also requiring them to defy God. Because in God's people's minds, the sanctity of human life has been instilled. From the very beginning, God's people understood that man was created in the image of God. And so they understood the sanctity of human life. It was almost a given. The Egyptians had a general sense of the sanctity of life, too. In a little book called Everyday Life in Ancient Egypt, the author says, the Greeks, accustomed to controlling family size by exposure of infants, marveled at Egypt the Egyptian practice of raising 
all those who were born. So we can expect that such a vile plot would probably have repulsed the general population of Egypt. And so this first tactic is somewhat covert. But when it came to the Hebrews and the threat to his power, Jewish infant lives were worthless fodder for Pharaoh's control. Their lives were meaningless to him. Enter two God-fearing women, Shifra and Puah, not names that you hear very often. Just a couple weeks ago, we had a visitor, and there was a little girl here named Shifra. I've not yet heard the name Puah, but they're noble names. They were head nurses over the labor and delivery forces of, of Israel, and so they were most likely over numerous other midwives. And so they were the ones most responsible for the way things went. They had a biblically informed medical ethic that would have been instilled in their minds because they were God-fearing people. They would have heard about the horror by oral tradition, the horror of the first murder. As soon as man was kicked out of the garden, Cain kills his brother Abel in cold blood. And that was an absolutely horrific thing that should rattle all of us. It was the birth of all murders that followed. The idea of death itself is horrific. But then the idea of innocent human lives being annihilated is all the more repulsive and disturbing, especially when done by violent hands. And so when it comes to Pharaoh's decree, their fear of God, the women's fear of God, overrides Pharaoh's decree. They could not obey him. Reminds us of that apostolic phrase, we must obey God. They're clearly driven by their fear of God. Because of their fear of God, they understood the sanctity of human life. They may have been beautiful and splendid women. People say that their names, Shifra, beautiful, and Pua, splendid. There are different takes on that. But, but if their names really meant beautiful and splendid, they certainly are that. But more importantly, they were God-fearing women who were very wise. Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. They knew because they knew God that if they were to do what Pharaoh had called them to do, it would have been an abomination in God's sight. but they feared the creator more than they feared the creature. They didn't have the fear of man. They wouldn't back down. They wouldn't give in. The fear of God is what drove them. I can't help but think that those who are pro-abortion and abortionists and supporters, that their fundamental issue, the thing 
that is missing from them is the fear of God. And their fundamental sin is that they don't fear God. Which has caused a tremendous medical ethic problem for our nation today when we have so many abortions in our nation. Grieving over that. Thank God that there's grace for those who repent. But you think of the complicated medical ethics where the abortion industry and hospitals and pharmacies are all responsible. It becomes so complicated that even our government and many of our insurance companies make us indirectly involved in abortions against our own consciences by taking our money. What to do? Nurses, pharmacists, what to do? Well, I, I, can't, I can't answer for everyone, but tonight I point to these women who risk life and limb, who risk life and limb to preserve the sanctity of human life. Well, they tell Pharaoh something. They, when he challenges them, they tell him that the babies are just coming too fast. We can't, we can't quite handle this. And, and everybody wants to get hung up on the question of, did they lie? Did these godly women lie? And you can easily get into all these circular, never-ending debates full of speculation. Some will give an adamant, yes, they absolutely lied. Some will say, no, they didn't lie. Some will say, I don't know. And others will say, it's complicated. It's complicated. I'm not sure I know what the answer is. Here's the one I like. We told a lie so big that no one could believe it. So there was no deceiving involved at all. I actually like to think even more that God actually did give the Hebrew women this extra measure of strength and vigor that they would birth these children so fast that all the midwives couldn't keep up with them and Shifra and Pua would have been absolutely delighted by that. But here's the bottom line to cut through all that debate and all those questions. The bottom line is they did what was right in the eyes of God, period. If you want proof of that, look what happens next. God blesses them. God blesses them with their own families, the fruit of the womb. Psalm 127.3, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. And, in addition, the numbers of the Hebrew people increase. And as we learned last time, it's exponential, so the, the nation is growing fast. Well, Pharaoh either fell for it because he's naive, or he's frustrated because he knows his hands are tied and he can't stop the birth of all these Hebrew baby boys. Whatever the case is, he was not done. Solution three. Open murder. Open murder. Verse 22, then Pharaoh commanded all his people, every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. I'm going to look closer at the centrality of the Nile for the Egyptian people down the road, Lord willing. 
But here we understand that he's ready to throw these babies into the water in order to have them die. And there's this progression where he goes from oppression and subduing the people to infanticide, killing babies now, to genocide and attempt to destroy a race. So he has this broader sweep and he becomes bolder and this would obviously be more public than what he had told the midwives to do in his plot to destroy. The boys were a threat to the nation. Any uprising, any military move would be led by men who used to be boys. And so in his mind, let me deal with the boys. Toss them into the Nile. One writer said, the Egyptian religion even venerated a deity of flooding, that is the Nile. The Egyptian religion even venerated a deity of flooding and fertility. Hapi, who was depicted as a chubby man with blue or green skin. Believed it to be the gateway from life to death and the afterlife. I don't know what was going on in Pharaoh's mind when he was having them throw babies into the Nile. I don't know, but I do know he wanted the Hebrew boys dead. If you look at what he's doing, some might question Pharaoh's intelligence. Seeing him as something of a dummy. If he's trying to stop population growth, You need to kill the women, the girls, too. Well, Pharaoh may have been a little dull, something of adult. Children, not an adult. Something of adult. But he was still ruthless. And he had a plan. And behind that plan was darkness. He is fully guilty himself, but he's a dupe of the devil. His tactic is familiar. Jump ahead in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2. And you'll see some connections here. You'll see one very clear connection with tonight, with our passage tonight. Beginning in verse 13. is picking up on when the Magi leave. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. 
So long ago, Pharaoh stood in the place of the representative of the kingdom of darkness and tried to stop the covenant people from expanding. From the covenant people had to come the Messiah to save sinners of this world. Fast forward years later, history repeats itself now in a very focused way where the Herod stands as that same representative on the face of the earth, now honed in on the new king of the Jews, Herod the usurper, the wicked king, no better than Pharaoh, as much as a dupe of Satan, trying to accomplish the very same end, but here focused on the king of the Jews, Messiah. If you want more evidence that there's darkness behind all of this, turn with me to Revelation chapter 12. And because I want to close by reading this, think of the covenant people of God as the woman. Think of Satan as the dragon. And you will be able to understand who the child is without any explanation. Revelation chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. And a great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun with the moon under her feet and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and on his head seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. There ends a reading of God's word. Let's pray. Almighty God, we do thank you for your word that from the beginning to the end you teach us that there is a Savior and that Savior is Jesus. Thank you for the fact that your sovereignty, your divine providence preserved the line of the one who would crush the serpent's head from the very beginning down to the very time of the birth of Christ. Lord, we thank you so much that you had us in mind with your sovereign plan and your divine providence. And to think that the birth of the Savior Jesus was born out of your love for us, sinners like us, amazes us. Lord, we thank you. We know that that very Savior, our Lord Jesus, still had to die. That was part of your perfect plan as well so that he might bear our sins, bear the wrath we deserved, dealing with our sin, dealing with Satan, and dealing with death itself. But death could not hold him. 
and we rejoice in the fact that he rose on the third day and that he is ascended even now to the right hand of glory. And we look for and long for his coming. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Closing hymn is hymn number 672. 672, will please stand as we sing Trust and Obey.
Now receive the Lord's blessing. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen.